Oh, what a great day to be alive. It's always a great day to be alive, right? Wake up on the right side of the sod. But it's Indiana Outdoor Time. That's always my favorite time of the week. Hopefully yours. Many thanks to all the stations that carry this Indiana Outdoor Show. Of course, we're brought to you by Indiana Donor Network, driven to the number two, driven to savelives.org. We're making progress on those Hoosiers on that transplant list. You can help save up to eight lives and heal up to 75 others. Huge show today. Um... You know, the fall is such a great time to do Indiana Outdoors because you can pick from so many different things because we got the hunting seasons, we got the changing of the colors, we got activities in all of our state parks and properties. People are out at four, at fairs, a lot of hunters scouting, getting anticipating the gun season here for deer season. I've already had pictures and comments and people and friends putting some venison in the freezer this early part of the archery season, so it's all good. But today, we're going to visit with Chris Sebastian, who is with Ducks Unlimited, regular guest here, get an update on waterfowling. We're probably not going to talk about this, but there's this new movie. It's not going to be out in public, which at least at this time, but it's a a movie that I'm looking forward to trying to figure out where and how to see it. It's not going to be in production, so to speak, but it's a an IMAX-type theater production about migration and ducks and i'm looking forward to figuring out how and when to see that and we'll keep you posted but we're going to talk to him about it for sure paul arlinghouse is hoosier mountain uh biking association longtime leader two new uh trails opened up at the uh Brown County State Park, which is already a destination point. If you're into the sport, people know it and come from all over the Midwest to participate in mountain biking activities down there. And of course, Nashville, Indiana, a great place to spend some time and some hospitality. We're going to find out about those new trails. Andrew Beltman is District 6 fisheries biologist. Can't forget fishing this time of the year. As a matter of fact, our Department of Natural Resources and the fisheries are going to be making some stockings over the next few weeks of channel catfish and trout, and that will provide some great action for Hoosier anglers. We're going to find out where and what you need to know. Folks, it is the Indiana Outdoor Show. Get ready. It's going to be a big program. We look forward to all that is ahead. And uh, with that, don't you go anywhere. We're going to visit with Ducks Unlimited right after this. It is the Indiana Outdoor Show. I hope you know that by now. So great to visit with all of you each and every week. And as I mentioned at the top of the hour, is very, very excited for this Indiana Outdoor Show. A little later on, we're going to be talking with Paul Arlinghouse with the Hoosier Mountain Biking Organization here in the state. Great leadership. New, several new trails open up at Brown County State Park. And then... Uh, you know, I love my biologist, and I love talking to biologists, whether it's mammals or it's fish. And the District 6 fisheries biologist is going to join us a little later. Some uh, channel cats, some trout stockings coming up this fall all over the state of Indiana, providing anglers some great action. But we're going to kick the Indiana Outdoor Show off with one of my great organization friends, Ducks Unlimited. One of my longtime passions since I was a little kid is Ducks Unlimited and uh, joining me is uh, Christian Sebastian. It's nice to have you be a part of Indiana Outdoors. How you been? I have been very well. I just returned from northern Michigan for a deer and duck hunting trip and wasn't super successful, but we got some 
pretty sweet weather changing this week and uh, hopefully pushing some more birds down. How have you been? Well, I've been great. You know, I was as I was introducing you, I was reminiscing a bit because when I was a little guy, under 10, I know that, and that's a long time ago, trust me, my dad invited me to a Ducks Unlimited dinner at the Meridian Hills Country Club in Indianapolis, and I just was so thrilled to go. I had no idea what Ducks Unlimited was. He asked if I'd like to go. Of course, I did, and... I still have the coffee table book. There was a there was a a biologist uh, who was there, who gave these great stories, and I was just mesmerized. And we bought a coffee table book that still is on my table in my living room, and I've it started a passion, not just for Ducks Unlimited, but I picked up where he left off, uh, inviting me to that dinner, and then when I became of a certain age after college and started wanting to get involved, lo and behold, start working with a group of guys who have become lifelong friends, hunting partners, personal friends, uh, still to this day, some 40 years later, where we are all owe our roots to planning those events, those dinners at the Meridian Hills Country Club where my first introduction to Ducks Unlimited started. So don't ever tell me that introducing someone new, someone young, can't create a love affair for conservation, whether it's deer, ducks, turkey, elks, they've all got their their great strengths and weaknesses. But I was just reminiscing in my own mind about how I got involved with Ducks Unlimited many, many years ago. And I know that that's a, a passion that you guys have... Uh, made it a part to bring people in early and guess what a lifelong later they're they're still going to events and still supporting ducks unlimited well and that really speaks to that the whole heritage that we all participate in and are members of and that's why we we all do what we do you know and yeah professionally it's why we do it but also just personally it's what it's what kind of that's that, that that fuel you know for for our fires and you know, you're absolutely right about getting people involved early, getting them involved young. But, I, you know, it's just as important, you know, getting adults who might be into the outdoors, you know, into, into waterfowling for the first time. You know, I've got a, several friends and family who have been lifelong white-tailed deer hunters in Michigan, and that's, that's great. And they still continue to do that. But the last few years, I've been introducing them more and more to, to waterfowling and They've, they've got the fever, they've got the bug, right? And they're going out and getting decoys and waders and all that kind of stuff. And it really is contagious. So, you know, spreading that, though, that, that experience to, to adult hunters and helping them to spread the word is, is, you know, it's really important for everything that we do. You know, it's the days of me breaking ice and waders and going out and doing the things that were a little risky in my earlier age. There's so many different variations in waterfowling from field to ducks to geese to different various uh, species around the country and different styles of hunting. And to me, it's just the socialization. And frankly, I love walking, working in any way, shape or form behind a dog and dog mm -hmm. sports, whether it's upland or it's over water is truly, as I've gotten older, it's really not about the ducks anymore. It's watching the dogs and the handlers and being around the whole atmosphere. So anyway, we could get off and be melancholy for a long time, but I wanted to visit with you to kind of find out what's the latest as we are into waterfowl season here in the state of Indiana. And I know you have a a broad range and perspective. I always like to reach out to you and kind of say, what's on Ducks Unlimited's mind? What are, what are you thinking? What are you seeing about the flyway? Yeah, so this has been a great year actually for that data, Ryan, because 
for a couple of years because of COVID, you know, we weren't getting these kind of continent-wide bird surveys that counts. You know, they, we didn't do these flights over Canada and, and, the, and the prairies to find out how are the birds doing. That's always important for management of these resources to get the most effective use of our dollars and your dollars to do the best conservation of work is to see, okay, how are the species doing? Where do they need the most work? So we were able to do those this year. Um, the Fish and Wildlife Service, the Canada Wildlife Service, they were all able to do these, these bird surveys again. And it really gave us a good picture as to the current state of waterfowl here continentally and the ones that are flying through your state right now. Um, it reflects the first really long-term drought that we've had in the prairies in some 30, 40 years. You know, people talk about the golden days of waterfowling. That really is, it's been like right now. You know, we've had liberal limits. We've had very, very high uh, duck numbers. And that's because we haven't had that drought cycle kick back in. Well, that return in the last couple of years in the prairies has been very dry. Um, and we had about 12% lower ducks um, in the survey area uh, this past year as opposed to 2019 for the last survey area. So that 12% drop represents drought. It represents, you know, the uh, fewer uh, marshes and wetland and prairie pothole areas for the birds to, to breed up north of us. Um, you know, it's been the lowest number in about 20 years, but that being said, we're still above average in, in lots of areas. Um, you know, we had some rain late, which kind of helped a little bit after the survey. Um, and we're still seeing a good amount of numbers here through, through the flyway. But I want to remind listeners and, and waterfowlers that drought isn't a bad thing. Drought is actually a really, really good thing. And give you kind of a brief explainer on that is, you know, wetlands are meant to be wet and dry, wet and dry, wet and dry, depending on how much rain you get. So when it's always wet, they stay the same size, and that, that's just fine. But during these dry periods up in the prairies, what we're seeing is when these potholes dry up and the, the muck at the bottom of these marshes kind of compacts and dries up, that's what triggers the germination for more wetland plants for the next generation. So when they dry up, they compact new vegetation forms. When the water comes back, it's even more full. It's even more bountiful. So the ducks can go into the boreal forest to breed. They can continue looking for other areas to breed. Meanwhile, that, that habitat area there is, is getting kind of rejuvenated for the next growing cycle. So lower numbers this year, um, and, and we're hoping to see some, some bigger numbers next year. Um, kind of one other way to look at the drought, too, is the drought really resembles what would happen if we didn't have conservation on the landscape also, right? So if we didn't have groups and supporters like your listeners, you know, helping out with conservation efforts, there wouldn't be wetlands, period. And the numbers that we're seeing right now from the drought would be full-time if we didn't have this conservation efforts going on. So, you know, just some big picture things to keep in mind as, as you're sitting in the blind and looking at the ducks going overhead that Mother Nature plays a lot to do with it, but, you know, our humans being able to intervene and form a habitat on the ground is also really beneficial, too. We're visiting with uh, Chris Sebastian, who is with Ducks Unlimited and one of our favorite guests here. <clears throat> you, I've used that story because we talked about this last year, about the beautiful spirit that Mother Nature possesses, because I've mentioned in passing on stories when people say, oh, yeah, the prairie potholes have been drying up and there's no more, not going to be any more ducks. And I have, because of our relationship and you sharing on Indiana Outdoors, the story about, no, this is actually a good thing. 
And not only is it a good thing because the prairies come back stronger and better because of that that cycle of wet and dry and compact and new life coming behind it, but these ducks aren't in jeopardy because they can just go to the, as you said, the boreal forest, which is different, and they didn't have that same problem. So Mother Nature has a workaround and a solution, and she's always at work, but it always helps when mankind can kind of be there and push and shove behind to help her out too, and that's what Ducks Unlimited does so well with the way that you have raised and engaged money in every state, not just Indiana, but that conservation helps all the critters. Yeah, it really does. I mean, I think there's, I believe, over 900 species of plants and animals that rely on wetlands at some point in their life, you know, to, to you know, to, to sustain and, and, and grow. So it's important. And it, so you can kind of look at the wet dry cycle year to year, almost like a, like a stock market type thing, right? You can go up, down, up, down. But we care about the long-term averages. What are the ducks doing long-term, right? And we just got some really cool data last week that really reinforces this mission that we have at Ducks Unlimited, but also the other conservation groups that we partner with also share, which is, you know, making sure that that habitat is there, um, you know, for, for future future life. So this survey came out, this numbers came out last week. It's called State of the Birds. This is a, a U.S.-wide um, report by 33 leading scientists and conservation groups uh, across across the U.S. that look simply at how are bird numbers doing across the U.S. Not just waterfowl, we're talking all bird species. And at face value, it's pretty sombering, right, because of habitat loss. So more than half the U.S. bird species are declining. Um, you know, we're seeing rapid, you know, you know, decrease in populations for some songbirds or some other birds across the country. There's one group of birds that is actually not only not declining, but it's actually going up, you know, exponentially. And those are wetland um, dependent species and ducks specifically. So during the since the 1970s, we've lost about 34 percent of our of you know of of our birds, grassland birds, but waterfowl are up 34 percent in the other direction. So That's this insane. Is really the only. It's really the only example of uh, of a species of birds that's actually increasing since 1970, and that is directly as a result of habitat conservation. So it works, and that's that long-term, you know, arc that we want to see that we work toward every day is is getting these ducks, you know, to grow in robust, healthy populations, and they really are. You know what? It's fascinating, and that's why we love to have these conversations. I learn something each and every week on Indiana Outdoors. And very thrifty organization. Your money is used very efficiently, and I've always appreciated that. You've got a wealth of depth and breadth in your scientific community, and you work so well in making the complex easy for people like me to understand. And I keep, will always keep an open phone here for you, and I'm so appreciative of that update on these numbers. So you've you've already been up. You did a little duck and deer season up in Michigan. You got any other trips planned this fall? Um, mostly Great Lakes based, yeah. And like I said, right now, um, you know, this week in, in, in northern Michigan and, and into Canada, they're getting tons of snow and strong north winds. So, you know, get out there when you can. Uh, the birds are going to be coming through for sure. You know, that's one of the things about Indiana waterfowl hunting is it's really contingent on when things freeze up. But Indiana duck hunting is always, duck hunters in particular, have always been great conservationists who buy the federal duck stamps, who buy the licenses and consider themselves 
waterfowlers is a disproportionate number here in Indiana, and I honestly think that's because they know that the great conservation work of buying a federal duck stamp, buying the licenses, whether you hunt or not, is some of the great conservation money you can invest because it goes back to exactly where it's needed. So as always, it's great to visit with you, Chris, and best of luck to you. Hopefully you put some meat in the freezer, and I always look forward to having you on Indiana Outdoors. Anything else for the good of the cause that we haven't talked about from Ducks Unlimited? No, I appreciate it, Brian. Keep going to uh, ducks.org slash Indiana. We've got a ton of updates there on actual conservation projects in all corners of the state, and you can kind of see where your money's going toward. It's, it's There's a lot going on. But thanks a lot for your time. I appreciate it. No, it's always great. And, you know, I'm glad you mentioned that because we talk about Ducks Unlimited as a national organization, but the Hoosiers who have contributed so mightily in funds, time, talent, and treasure, it's always good to go back and actually look at where that money has been invested and the outcome and the track record for Ducks Unlimited with its many, many partners uh, across the state of Indiana have achieved such success, and we look forward to making that possible again. So find a volunteer, go to your events, get involved. Maybe you'll end up like me one day, old and broken down, but still have a fancy spot in their heart for Ducks Unlimited. So as always, it's great to visit with you, Chris. Good luck, and we look forward to talking to you again real soon. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. My pleasure. It is the Indiana Outdoor Show brought to you by Indiana Donor Network, driven to save lives.org. We're going to talk to our friends at the Hoosier Mountain Biking Association. We return. Paul Arlinghouse is waiting. More to come right after this. What a beautiful weekend. What a beautiful week. My gosh, we've actually had a little bit of a fall. It is the Indiana Outdoor Show, and I, your host, Brian Pointer, brought to you by our good friends at, you know them, DrivenToSaveLives.org. Sign up to be that organ and tissue donor. Our good friends at uh, that great organization doing great work, help heal up to 75 and save up to eight lives. What a great organization. We're making progress. As you mentioned, or as I mentioned at the top of the hour, the Hoosier Mountain Biking Club here in Indianapolis, uh, he's a great organization and regular guest, Paul Arlinghouse, who is the president, joins us. Paul, it's been a minute. I hope you've been out in this fall weather enjoying some of your great passion and the great trails we have here for mountain biking. How you been? Doing good. Yeah, my wife and I were just down at Brown County State Park yesterday getting a, a ride in and enjoying the uh, fall colors. Well, there's no better time to do that. And tell for those that might not be familiar, mountain biking has just grown in popularity belong beyond any measure. And Nashville, Indiana, Brown County State Park has kind of seemed a destination over the years as it's gained more um, popularity, I guess, for the lack of a better word. But uh, some new trails opened up down there. That's got to be exciting for all the folks that love the mountain biking. Yeah, we're excited. Uh, you know, really, uh, these are probably the, the last two trails we'll be building there at the, the state park, and um, they really help tie the, the system together. Uh, one of them pr- provides really good connectivity through the park for intermediate riders, and the other one provides uh, a little bit more challenge for some of the more advanced riders. So it's you and I have visited on this, and it's a cult. I mean, the guys and gals that love mountain biking, I'm, I'm just – amazed at the stuff that you guys can do on a bike, but it just seems like it's grown in popularity. What do you make of that? 
Well, I think it, you know, obviously, you know, the, the more advanced riders get the publicity, but I mean, mountain biking really appeals, not just, you don't have to be the, the diehard mountain biker to enjoy it. And, you know, the trails of Brown County, part of their success is because we've thought a lot about not just the advanced riders, but the families and the kids that want to, you know, maybe the, the beginner riders or more casual users, uh, to them to also be able to come out and have a great experience. And so in addition to building some advanced trails for some of the more, you know, advanced riders, we also have some really great trails for beginner riders. Um, you know, we see kids as young as five years old out on the trail on strider bikes, um, uh, trails that are just, you know, really inviting for those folks who, you know, for the first time want to try mountain biking out. So when you talk about an advanced uh, trail, what does that look like? What's the difference between an advanced and a beginner? I don't want to ask the obvious, but I, I, I love watching the videos of people that are just doing some insane things. What's the difference between beginning and advanced? There's a number of things that kind of, you, you know, things that we can do to make trails more advanced or challenging. And so tread width is one of those things. So a beginner trail is going to be wider. We typically shoot for about 24 inches wide. So there's plenty of room for that rider to navigate the trail, um, where some of our advanced trails may be as narrow as six inches. So, uh, good Lord. <laughs> and then, um, on, then, then you start to add in elevate you know, your your gradient. So a more experienced rider is probably going to be more fit. They're going to be able to climb a steeper gradient, whereas that beginner rider is going to really struggle if they have to, especially for a long period of time, climb a steep gradient. So we we try to keep the gradient, you know, the, the, how fast you're climbing or descending, a little under control for the beginner riders, uh, both to make the climbing easier, but also to prevent them from getting too much speed on the on the downhill. Um, as you get more advanced, those trails can become steeper. Um, and then on top of that, then there's, as we get more advanced, you can start to put more kind of features into the trail, whether those be rocks or logs or things that riders have to navigate, or as a beginner trail is going to be pretty, pretty smooth. Uh, there could be, you know, some rocks and, and smaller things, but for the most part, they're going to be, you know, pretty easy to navigate. Whereas on a, a more, you know, an advanced trail, there could be, you know, rocks that you have to pop up onto or, or drop off of. Oh my gosh. You know, I love watching it. I think it's a great sport. I've never been adventuresome now that I'm up there in age a little bit. It's like when guys my of a certain age stop playing basketball because they're going to pull their pull their hammies or their Achilles, I uh, feel it's probably a little too late. But I know that there's some designations down in Nashville in in particular that bring people from around the Midwest, and there's a designation we've talked about. What's an epic trail? Because there's a couple of those down there, right? Um. Yeah, it's a designation by the um, kind of a national group, and it you know kind of um, you know lets folks know that hey, if I travel to this area, that not just the trails are going to be there, but also the infrastructure for tourism. And so it's a great marriage there, Brown County State Park with the town of Nashville, where you can come in and there's place to stay, there's restaurants, um, there's brew pubs. Um, you know, Big Woods is down there, one of our partners for our Epic. Uh, with their hard truth uh, facility. So, I mean, you can come and spend a week really in that area and ride different trails every day and also, you know, kind of experience the local uh, community. So you've been a longtime leader of the Hoosier mountain biking 
group here in Indianapolis, and you've done such great work, but it's been a partnership, and it takes a lot of people and a lot of man hours, uh, generally speaking, for the folks in your organization because you truly do partner with the Brown County State Park and all these places that you're putting in these uh, great trails, and it doesn't come without a lot of hard work, but you and your organization seem to be very dedicated, and I imagine the strength of your organization is better as a result. Yeah, I think it's, you know, part of the success of the trail is that it's, you know, the, the folks that build and ultimately maintain the trails are very passionate about the trails. Um, and so, I mean, building a sustainable trail is difficult. And if you're going to go through all that effort, you might as well make something that's really enjoyable um, and fun to, to ride. And, and then you care about it once it's built to make sure that it's maintained. So it's really uh, the folks that maintain the trails are very passionate about uh, keeping that experience up, not just for us, but for those that are coming after us. Paul, it's always great to visit with you and the great men and women in your organization and wish you well and continued success and congratulations on a couple new trails. What's next for your organization? Oh, boy. Um, I know there's uh, some efforts down at O'Bannon Woods to add some more trails down there. Uh, it's probably the next uh, next project that will be on the, on the horizon for us. Uh, long term, we're looking at uh, working with Hoosier National Forest to add some trails, uh, but you know, working with Hoosier National Forest is a little bit slower moving uh, uh, process. So you know, that may set us up for things that may come five years down the road. Always work to be done. Paul, it's great to visit with you. Thanks for all the great work that you do. And be safe out there on the trails, and we'll hope to uh, have you back here real soon. Thank you very much. My pleasure. It is the Indiana Outdoor Show. I am your host, Brian Pointer. We're brought to you by Indiana Donor Network, driven to save lives.org. Great conversation, great leadership with Paul and his organization. Don't go anywhere. We're going to be back. It's the Indiana Outdoor Show. It is the Indian Outdoor Show. What a great day to be alive. What a beautiful weekend. So many things happening in this special time of the year. We've actually had a fall, which I hope continues, and beautiful weather. Great opportunity for field and forest, a lot of hunters. Let's not forget about fishing. It's always great to catch up with our friends and the fisheries biologists, and we're going to visit with the District 6 fisheries biologist, Andrew Beltman here in just a second, but it was great to hear about the new trails that have gone in down, mountain biking trails down at Brown County State Park and uh, great organization. Paul's done a great job leading and mentoring so many in that great sport. Andrew is with us and uh, I always love visiting with our fisheries biologist friends. You guys have such a fascinating job. And the fall, it's busy for you all the time, but you guys seem to uh, be busier this time of the year because you're, you're stocking in some lakes and streams around the state of Indiana, two different species. We've got channel catfish. We've got, uh, we've got uh, the, not only the channel cats, we've got some trout that are going into different places. But how do you end up figuring out where those fish go, and how's that process end up from raising them to putting them in the water? Here in Indiana, we got a stocking program of many different species. Today, we're going to be talking about channel catfish and uh, the 
rainbow trout that we're stocking here in the fall. We also do some spring stockings as well uh, of both of the species, but today we're just going to stick with talking about the fall stockings. So channel catfish, uh, we stock those in, in the fisheries that we call put, grow, and take fisheries. So these fish we stock at about eight to 10 inches long, which for some people is perfect size to harvest. For others, they'd like to wait till they get a little larger sizes. So uh, once they are stocked into the lake, they will grow. They'll live throughout the whole year. And we encourage anglers to harvest these fish because that's a big reason why we stock these. And the other reason we stock channel cats, they don't really self-sustain themselves too well in smaller water bodies and ponds and lakes due to lack of spawning habitat and due to high predation. As for the rainbow trout go, they're more of a cold water species. So when we stock these in these uh, southern, southern, more southern lakes and throughout Indiana in general, they are not going to survive our warmer springs and summer. So we consider them a put and take fishery. So when we stock rainbow trout, the intention is for anglers to harvest those fish because come the warmer temperatures in spring and summer, the fish are not going to be able to tolerate those warmer waters and they're going to perish. So that's kind of the reason why we stock them. They're, they're more of a cold water fish, so they're more active. So when when it gets a little colder, our warm water species, they're not as active. Though bluegill, crappie, largemouth, they, uh, fishing for them kind of slows down, so to speak. So we throw these rainbow trout in during these winter times to offer anglers some more action, some more easily caught fish. Yeah, there's no, I mean, everybody's out hunting and got things on field and forest, but so many great opportunities and anglers enjoy that. So where can people go if they want to find out in particular where the trout are going and where the channel cats are going? Yeah, so if you go to our Indiana DNR website, we have a stocking web page on there. So if you were just go to indianadnr.com and you search uh, fish stocking, it should be the first option on there. And we have a stocking database on there. You could just simply go and look up whatever lake you're interested in, and it'll tell you which fish are stocked and when. And then more specifically, we do have a plan that we put on there every year specifically for channel catfish and rainbow trout. Out. And it's just a document, a PDF document that you can click on, and that'll tell you where we plan on stocking fish every year. You know, I love the fact that we have such an active fishery, and I know that the channel cats, I think, are raised here. Where do you get the trout? Yeah, so the rainbow trout are, are bought from a private hatchery, and then after we buy them, we bring them over to the Bodine State Fish Hatchery. So it's a state-owned hatchery where they are hatched, and then once they get about three inches, we move those to our Curtis Creek Trout Rearing Station, where they're going to continue to grow until they get to the size that we stock them at, which we grow them up upward greater than seven inches. Uh, before they're stocked because our minimum length limit for a rainbow trout are seven inches. So we grow them until they're getting, until they're larger than seven inches and then they're stocked. I think that's fantastic. And I know anglers appreciate it. You know, I love talking to our biologists of any sort. And in particular, I got to ask you, when you were a little guy growing up, did you say, man, I want to grow up and be a fisheries biologist? Where'd that passion come from? Yeah, to be honest with you, Brian, I, I didn't even know this career existed when I was a kid. I knew I loved fishing. My parents always took me fishing, grew up just absolutely loving fishing, fished as much as I could through high school and early college. And I actually majored in accounting when I first attended college. Natural, then, natural move from accounting to fishing. I love it. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Went out on a field trip on, out on the Mississippi River uh, to do some benthic trawling, and that's where I learned that I could be a fish biologist. And I just instantly went to my advisor right afterward. I said, I am switching my majors, and I have not regretted it a single time ever since. I absolutely love it. Well, it's great that you guys are doing this. As always, appreciate your leadership within fisheries. Are there any other stockings? When's the next one take place? Oh, well, so trying to think outside of the trout and channel catfish stockings. Our next stockings that will be happening won't be happening again until the spring, but yep. there's a whole host of other species that we stock in the spring, including muskie, walleye, um, different kinds of trout up north, um, whole whole host of different species, which, like I said earlier, you can just look that up on our website to see which species are stocked and where. I love it, and we're going to be back in touch with you for sure in the spring, and it is one of my favorite things to do, visiting with our biology friends and anything else that uh, I haven't asked you'd like to talk about? Uh, yeah, I'd just like to, I guess, finish up by saying you do need a fishing license to target either one of these species. For rainbow trout, you do need a trout stamp in addition to your fishing license. And all those fishing license dollars are what goes towards supporting these programs so that we can stock these fish for anglers to target. So it's really important that you go out and buy a fishing license and, and go out and just enjoy enjoy fishing for these species. Enjoy it, catch and release or harvest. Either Either is great. You couldn't have said it and ended any better. Thanks so much. Andrew Beltman, District 6, fisheries biologists and fishing stockings. Go to the website. Thanks so much for being here. It's great the work that you do, and we look forward to talking to you again this spring. Thank you so much, Brian. I appreciate it. My pleasure. It is the Indiana Outdoor Show, brought to you by Indiana Donor Network. We're going to be back right after this. You know, I say this each and every week. I learn something on Indiana Outdoors, and I have for 24 years. Every week, I learn something new. And I love coming into the studio and making this an opportunity for you to get together, especially this time of the year. Of course, I, your host, Brian Pointer. We are into the hunting seasons. We've got so many activities. We're brought to you by our friends at Indiana Donor Network, driven to save lives.org. And Today was a big show. You know, we had such a diverse group of folks between the uh, friends at Ducks Unlimited. I love telling that story. And as I was introducing Chris Sebastian, how I got involved with Ducks Unlimited all those years ago. And here I am now, uh, mid-50s, and still a great passion for a great organization. And it sounds like we've got a lot more to talk about uh, as we look forward to more updates from Ducks Unlimited. In mountain biking, uh, it's not my sport, uh, but I love watching, hearing stories, and I know people are very... Those folks travel, and what a great opportunity to put new, new two new trails down in uh, Nashville because people are just going to make that more of a destination. And Paul, after all these years of leading the organization as its president, is probably on his 
last leg here in his hurrah to see such great work be completed down in Nashville. And of course, Andrew Beltman, the fisheries biologist, this is what I love. And I learn something from these guys all the time. Very sophisticated, you know, getting the fish, raising the fish, figuring out where to put them at the right time of the year to provide anglers an opportunity. And he's so ably reminded people that if it weren't for those licenses that you buy and the salmon stamps and other things, that that's what makes this possible. And it's just for, as he called it, more action for the Hoosier angler. Folks, we provide great action here each and every Saturday. It is the Indian Outdoor Show. And especially this time of the year, we had our friends in law enforcement edifying the fact we're trying to stop poaching in this state. No better way to do it than remember this tip 1 800 tip IDNR. Let the folks in law enforcement do what they need to do. Folks, enjoy Field or Forest. We'll see you next weekend. I'll see you outside, everybody. Thank you.